0: Part eleven of Collected Prose by James Elroy Flecker. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter two of the Grecians the aim of education. Smith roused no enthusiasm by proposing this toast. Hoffman started and groaned and edwardson remarked sadly that he wanted to forget that dire unspeakable thing
1: is it possible that you hate your work and that you are sincere in expressing your unhappiness one would think there could be nothing more delightful than training the young and watching the subtle dawn of intelligence our work has its
2: compensations my dear smith yet I cannot conceive of any vocation more disheartening, toilsome, and unpleasant.
1: Yet perhaps you have not really any standard of comparison. What evidence have you that members of other professions are more cheerful than schoolmasters? I think I have some evidence. I have often been in the city
2: and observed narrowly the faces of the businessmen who pour out of the tube terminus anxious those faces often are pale feverish elated with success dejected with impending ruin yet none of them were languid none bored now you know perhaps that there is a special service held for schoolmasters and members of the teachers union once a year in the chapel of some great public school i once attended such a service there in a narrow space were collected some two hundred head and assistant masters a more tragic sight i have never seen it may be that the sermon preached by a young anglican of great eminence had affected me strangely but i know that when i left the chapel i nearly wept thank god one does not often see a congregation of schoolmasters those withered trees are usually surrounded by the fair and delectable shrubs of youth they look ill in a forest by themselves usually we see the usher's unromantic figure graced by the boys who flock around him and to them he is so familiar and trite a thing that they pay no heed to his sagging trousers and rusty coat to his surly manners and unkempt hair to his unchanging cravat and rectangular boots but when i saw that unearthly congregation of men who had failed whose lips were hard and their faces drawn and sallow when i remarked the imbecile athletes who taught football the puny scientists who expounded the dark mystery of nature the blighted and sapless scholars who taught plato and Catullus by the page and hour the little wry bodied men in spectacles who trained their pupils in king lear for the cambridge locals i shuddered and felt faint for i remembered that i too was one of these i
1: too was rusty i effete i growing old you are convincing as to the fact yet you hardly suggest a reason why is it do you think that teachers are such sad and bitter men it is a little difficult to explain
2: perhaps it is because we don't know that's it we
3: do not know we don't know where we are going to we have no idea what sort of man we want to make and while we have no definite aim we are beset by a million irritations from faddists and quacks bring up boys and girls together say some the school will then be a paradise never teach a child what it doesn't want to know says the benign pedophilist god i would like to teach him something he wouldn't like to know science grand practical science says a crude person from the north once i had faith in the crude person before i taught grand practical science our old beautiful traditions say people like my friend here there is nothing wrong except the spread of scientific knowledge modern tongues not dead ones something really useful to help the boys to good business positions so clamor parents who do not realize that german clerks who know six languages to perfection may be purchased for about a hundred and sixty pounds a year english history how splendid how important says the blustering member of parliament in a speech which would shame the school debating club when he comes to give away our prizes english literature cried the dames up to the death of wordsworth but including tennyson not omitting beowulf if you want to understand shakespeare a pox on the fools art music religion and wood carving all have their votaries C'est mon des plombs de feu, et qui n'en veut pas voir doit se tenir tout seul au casser son miroir.
2: True Hoffman, why, if I could get a paragraph into the Daily Mail suggesting that it is a disgraceful thing that our great public schools never teach Etruscan, which is not only the true foundation of any really thorough knowledge of Latin but also a study most likely to foster mental ingenuity and deep thought i should be styled one of our most prominent educationalists on the morrow but since we are in such a vortex of new and absurd ideas is there not some sense in keeping to the old lines you have never understood hoffmann and perhaps you never will what is the true value and meaning of a classical education every year that this education continues to exist at all it becomes more and more indispensable to anyone who desires to understand history we do not merely educate people to understand the world of thucydides and tacitus aeschylus and virgil but we educate them to understand petrarch and ariosto Racine and Montesquieu, Pitt and Johnson and Pope, Milton, Landor, Shelley, Arnold, Browning, Tennyson and Swinburne, for we have hardly had a great poet who was not a good classical scholar. Except Shakespeare. Even that is doubtful. To know the story of literature, of law, of science and philosophy, you must study the classics <laughs> while a true and just use and knowledge of the subtleties of words may be inborn in a genius but is the natural outcome of a scholar's training i readily admit that certain changes ought to take place from within vilamovitz Merlandoff has made what i consider to be a quite admirable suggestion he says in effect that we ought to read all greek literature and not confine ourselves to a little cluster of classical writers he suggests that we should read greek written as late as the tenth century a d and indeed the byzantines are neither so uninteresting nor so incapable as is generally believed with regard to the latin tongue i myself would rejoice to see the more suitable passages of petronius apuleius and the elegiacs of that dainty poet of the decline Ausonius, included in the regular course for i am a person of liberal ideas though hoffman will credit me with none i think too that one ought to get on much faster with the books one reads and not spend a whole term droning through a book of virgil at thirty lines a day i believe that boys should be allowed to use translations they are given plenty of unseen's on which to exert their minds and i consider though this is rather heresy that only the most intelligent boys should be worried with latin and greek composition we may teach our young swinburnes or Jebs to write greek and latin verses i am not very much in favour of compelling the ordinary boy to undergo so severe a training you see the grand old classics are waking up Hoffman. during the last few years the scientific treatment of art and archaeology has made tremendous strides while the study of folklore and comparative mythology is revolutionizing our ideas upon roman and greek religion our comprehension of the classics has advanced more between the year eighteen eighty and the present time than between the years sixteen hundred and eighteen eighty this is literally true then we still find and always shall in the calm logic of latin grammar oh death do you dare to insinuate that
3: any one was ever taught to think about the universe by learning perfects and supines or those eccentrics in Do you really think you are going to ennoble and modernize the classics by skipping through half a dozen wretched bastard Greek romances written by a worthless people in a worthless period, or by entertaining the lads with the cheerful heresies of the early Christian fathers? Do you say keep the old system? Look at the result of your time-honored plan one scholar, that is to say one naturally intelligent person whose intelligence you have perverted to a useless end, to a hundred wastrels, that is to say a hundred ordinary young men whose brains you have fuddled for ever. And your one scholar, I grant you, may be a fine man, but wherein lies his salvation? In being something more than a scholar in his self-education in the music art or poetry he loves in his appreciation of the passions and desires that sway the actual world can he even be a fine scholar if he comprehends not these things is a man who votes tory because he is a don fit to understand tacitus or a man who has never travelled over the earth fit to enjoy the odyssey shall we give tatalus to a passionless pedant ovid to a man who has never known love's kiss even i who have only read the classics in translations have a better opinion of them than that i don't want to substitute science as being in any way a real or complete training for the young my humble task is to teach the boys a few facts about the real world which may help them to earn their living and i hate all rainbow theories of education Teach a boy, I say, to read and write and add up sums, then teach him his trade and If you want a wider and nobler upbringing for him, turn him loose into a good library for so many hours a day and let him learn what he likes.
2: Oh, scholars can earn their living sometimes, and a fact in Latin grammar is as
1: much a fact as a fact in physics. Come, Brother Edwinson. I don't think you really mean that, you are arguing in a vicious circle if you maintain that a classical education is a practical one, because your pupils may subsequently become classical teachers. You know of the tribe which existed by taking in each other's washing, you are well enough aware that the moment the dead languages cease to be required in state or university examinations which lead to emolument, the whole fabric of classical education instantly disappears and the scholars who now secure for themselves snug and comfortable berths, would then be wandering up and down the land like disembodied spirits. A few might still be needed for museums and libraries, or to teach the sons of some old-fashioned American millionaire, but the rest would die of hunger or take to breaking stones. Now, I gather that you are, both of you, even Edwinson, rather disappointed in our English middle-class education, do you then think that nothing could be done to reform our public schools i think they are in such a state that
3: reform is impossible and that they ought to be utterly destroyed for forever there is better work done in the dirtiest board school or technical training college in a day than we
1: do in a week and the public school is really such a loathsome place you seem to be quite bitter about it hoffman in what way do you mean that a public school is loathsome
3: Why, Were you never at one of those great institutions which make England what it is and have made Balham and Bethnal Green what they are? Have you never witnessed the weary conflict between plodding dull ushers and stolid boys? Are you unaware of our finely organised system of compulsory cricket and compulsory vice? From the first of these evils a boy can only escape by being consumptive, from the second only by becoming a moral prig, DO YOU NOT KNOW HOW THE MONOTONOUS HOURS ARE ONLY VARIED BY EPIDEMICS, WHETHER OF CHICKENPOX, RELIGION, SILKWORM-KEEPING, OR SANDO EXERCISES? DO YOU NOT KNOW THE HELL THAT AWAITS ALL BOYS WHO THINK FOR THEMSELVES, WHO HAVE ANY MORAL COURAGE, WHO DARE TO LOOK BEYOND THE HORIZON OF THE DAMNED ROUTINE, WHO SHIRK GAMES,
1: OR WHO SHIRK LOOKING AT GAMES? WHAT YOU SAY HAS ITS TRUTH. But to me it appears still worse that after this public school life, a boy should pass on to Oxford and Cambridge, where instead of entering on a new life, he will merely continue in his former ways. If it meant influence to be a good cricketer at school, why, so it does in college. If chapel was compulsory at school, so it is in college. If independence meant unpopularity at school, so it does in most colleges. No new society arises to entertain the mind, no women enable him to understand the proportion of things in this world, no freedom of town life, no rousing interest in art or politics will ever encroach on the monotony of a protracted schoolboy existence, wherein smoking, drinking and cards are only occasionally restrained by authority. I am surprised that Hoffman should thus depreciate school
2: life and that you sir should be so dissatisfied with the university consider how ninety-nine out of a hundred boys love their school how they revel in school life how they weep to leave it and how they love to return and visit their old friends and masters as the college my days at oxford were the only
1: good days of my life even though i never played cricket and football Do you not consider what a terrible imputation it is against a school if even the hundredth boy, unless he be a confirmed hypochondriac, be not happy? If you feed boys well, let them play with each other and give them a reasonable amount of liberty. It is very hard to make them miserable. And in the generous days of youth, who would not be sentimental about leaving friends and associations? But what Hoffman says is that the best boys are the most unhappy, and I believe that, except possibly at eton and winchester this is literally what happens the new raw athletic mushroom public school is not a very pleasant place but surely the spartan element in our great schools is very
2: fine to rough it a little makes a boy independent and manly a little bumping about here
0: edwardson stopped having caught an unpleasantly hostile expression in the eye of harold smith Mm, of course all that is a little
1: trite he added lamely yes edwinson that's just it a little bumping about will soon cure a boy of holding any ideas that displease his fellows a little ridicule will soon cure jones minor of reading gibbon when he ought to be out in the rain watching the house hockey match a really hard thrashing will soon dispel young Robinson's religious doubts. Oh yes, we will embitter the seven years of life which should be the happiest so as to give a boy more grit and pluck in after years. It seems we run a risk, Edwinson, and draw our bow at a venture. Does the nervous high-strung youth become a thick-skinned Briton at the end of our Spartan training? I have not observed it. Heresy of heresies, I do not really desire it. But I do very much fear that a boy of original mind may become permanently embittered and peevish under our present system, and never acquire that strength and cheerfulness which underlies true genius. Our Spartan ideal is productive of minor poets, of most unmanly people, who claiming sanity and reserve are ashamed instead of proud of what they think or feel or know. And I am so eccentric as not to be entirely pleased with that other notable product, of our lacedaemonian tendencies the hulking and vainglorious captain of the school eleven whom i picture from memory standing crop in hand surrounded by his toadies and parasites the terror and admiration of the young spartan system why the fellow has never been kicked since his very first term when he made such a fine score in the junior house match edwinson if the boys in your school are not happy burn it down But there is yet further question. Have you done your best for their happiness in the days of manhood, O pedagogue? For with that you are most intimately concerned.
3: Have you then revealed your secret, Smith? Is that your ideal education which produces the happy man?
1: Negatively, yes. That sounds cryptic, but I mean that whatever else we may strive after, we fail if we do not help our pupils to be happy in an uncertain world i take this as a postulate but tell me hoffman Since happiness is after all as difficult a word to explain precisely as goodness the type of the man that you would desire to produce with the aid of education hoffman with
3: animation shining through his spectacles i think education can do little to produce the type of man i want i look for a man of power an overman if you are not weary of the word at any rate a man unflinchingly honest in his thoughts and in the expression of his thoughts unswayed by prejudice and convention natural and strong in his desires and passions a man who can pierce the riddle of this rather aimless existence and lead mankind to new triumphs and new
1: glory and you edwinson perhaps do not entirely participate in hoffman's ideal indeed no he has expressed
2: himself innocently enough but i know he wants to turn all the nicest people into labour leaders i confess i prefer the gentleman if he will forgive me using a word he hates i believe we have a duty to intimate society as well as to the state and i believe that people with charming manners make life much more tolerable for their friends than unpleasant socialistic people
3: that is to say gentlemen please other gentlemen
2: it is more than that i have known many a boy whose head was perfectly empty yet who had such a way with him that everybody liked him from the headmaster to the boot-black but be quiet hoffman far be it from me to suggest that it is the business of a school to produce gentlemen in a school to which gentlemen are sent the aim must be first that the blatancy of vulgarians should be toned down by association with boys of a more refined nature secondly to produce in those who are gentlemen by birth a refinement not only of manner and deportment but also of language taste and thought to produce not mere gentlemen, but that type of great gentleman whom we call a
1: gentleman and a scholar truth is dull and i fear all i have to say is that both these ideals are excellent and that they should and can be easily combined but forgive me for remarking that they are ideals of admiration and not of thought. Both of you really want to produce men who shall be like yourselves. Or rather, like our ideal
3: selves, the men we might have been had we been blessed with opportunity.
1: Well then, you want to produce perhaps persons whom you would like to have as friends, but shall we not consider whether it would be possible to establish our discussion on a surer basis and try to discover not perhaps what the ideal man is but at least what our ideal of a man is we can at all events eliminate the elements which displease one or other of us and if we do come to some more or less definite agreement on the subject we shall hope that there may be many other sensible people in the wide world who would concur with our conclusions if they were here with us to-night we have already laid down one postulate that we do not want to train our people to be miserable we will lay down another that we are not going to train our boys as candidates for any one of the various official paradises occupied by members of the rival sects is then the ideal of happiness enough for if anyone were to object that to train people to be happy would be to train them to be unpleasant selfish useless and ignorant we should reply that their notions of pleasure are ridiculous and limited happiness then but surely you admire the
2: noble ideas and fine morality the devotion to work and duty which have stamped the best men in the human race and surely you do not believe that good men have acted merely because they would be happier in doing good even if such were really the case it would be too horrible to believe even as it is too horrible to believe that death is the end of all things or that this universe has no aim
3: as usual edwinson you take up that miserable peer-gint attitude let us think of the things that are pleasant and forget those that hurt and you send our pupils as he sent his mother headlong through the gate of death with ancient folk-tales and sweet lying harmonies in their ears what do you yearn o sentimental idealist to set up the dusty old virtues on their feet again and to clap on the statue of truth the shabby rags of dying religions and the enormous fig-leaf of respectability let us make men who can realize themselves for i weary of your heroes of the drawing-room and the popular stage i'm sick of the cant of devotion to one's duty one's country
1: and one's only girl but do you think that happiness will come from this self-realization of yours what matter we want men of power
3: the world is getting sick and rotten we want some men who are free and brave where are the heroes who trampled us down in the gorgeous youth of the world your views do not differ materially from those of edwinson you know hoffman
0: had for some moments been pacing the room in his excitement and he now brought himself up to within a foot of the table on which smith is sitting and shouted
1: what don't raise your voice like that hoffman or i shall fall off the table my point is this both of you approve of virtue but while edwinson considers many qualities to be virtues you only approve of strength and truthfulness and i think your overman will have to give up many things that mortals enjoy such as friendship and love. But a man may be realising himself in friendship and love. Not if self-realisation means anything at all. I can understand how a man in pursuit of the ideals of power and self-realisation may consider it advisable to understand his fellow men and converse with them. But it is an obvious truth that friendship, love and affection are bound to imply a subordination of oneself to others. Moreover, if life in a civilized state is to be tolerable, it entails considerable suppression of the natural man. But perhaps you would say that we realize ourselves by fitting ourselves to circumstances. I confess the term self-realization seems to me to be a little vague. At all events, neither of you, I fear, seem to take kindly to my notion of educating people so that they may be happy. Now, Edwinson, what people would you consider to be most happy? edwinson rose slowly and went to the window
0: below on the opposite side of the street a little crowd was waiting patiently and cheerfully for the doors of a cinematograph show to open he pointed to the young workmen thronging down there with their wives on their arms and children
2: dangling at their coats and said those people if they have good health and no aspirations are probably as happy as anyone in the world prosperous city men verging on middle age are i expect quite happy also it is reserved for the sensitive men for those whose fibre is weakened by learning and culture to feel most deeply the misery of the world it is education that makes a leopardi
1: bitter or drives a Baudelaire mad to look at you and hear you speak edwinson i should hardly believe that you had led a happy life yet do you really wish that your lot had been different do you yearn for the life of those poor men below would you really be content to plough fields or push barrows
2: uh, no although in moments of depression i yearn for the happiest thoughtless existence of the ignorant i would not really abandon my little knowledge it is too precious to me and i would not barter it against animal happiness in knowledge as in civilization the further we advance the greater are our joys the deeper our sorrows but
1: we cannot retreat i am glad to hear you say so your words will help me to explain the type i desire to form and they give me some hope that you will not hopelessly dissent from the views i am now going to express
2: now let all profane tongues be silent and let us
1: hear and dispute the description of an ideal man first i admit that the term happy man embraces but little of our idea of a good man of the men whom we would admire and love to own as a friend yet happiness i would remark in passing even of the lowest type is something of a social virtue it is pervasive and infectious and therefore in a certain sense altruistic i think we should most of us take more delight in the friendship of rabelais than in that of leopardi or baudelaire although by the way it was not only sensibility and intelligence but also incessant ill health that made those two great men unhappy granted that we want our pupils to be cheerful we must fit them for their station in life we must train their physical health with the greatest care and we must enable them to perform the ordinary social duties of their station and to earn a comfortable livelihood. And yet we know well that some of the boys whom we are going to teach will not be contented with this even while they are young. Man entertains fantastic inexplicable desires after things profitless, after truth, knowledge and beauty viewed as ends in themselves. Some even yearn for absolute chastity or absolute holiness. These latter two desires are spiritual, not mental, exceptional, not rational, and since it has so often been observed that holy men have an antipathy to the use of human reason, we cannot undertake to train our boys in holiness, for our business is with thought. To my mind a passion for beautiful things is the possession of the wise and thoughtful, or at least is only of value to the intelligent. I cannot now argue this philosophy. I can only appeal to the vivid and trained understanding of those men who have loved the beautiful. Therefore, since our concern is with mental aspirations, and since we must accept it as a fact that men do long to understand the problems of reason, to master the details of science, and to appreciate beautiful things, and that we in fact admire and love the men who hold these strange desires, we will lay down that a fuller education be given in our schools to those who are fitted to receive it. Our scholars who taste of the bittersweet fruit of this tree of knowledge will be made both more happy and more miserable. But observe, though we educate them for the sake of that greater happiness to which they will attain, yet we are not deluded into thinking that the young man who is a thirst for knowledge is a thirst for happiness. Some happiness it may give him, but that is only by the way. Foolish and irritating are those who contend this man gives his money to the poor because it is his form of pleasure my form of pleasure is to expend it on the racecourse. there is no moral difference between us if a man prefers to be generous it is just this preference of his that makes us call him a good man and we call him good not really in accordance with any fixed moral code but from the nature of ourselves which is to admire strong will strong intellect and strong love in our fellow men But supposing
3: some people, as some do, admire Charles Peace, the burglar,
1: extremely, and others think him an outrageous scoundrel? The difference here, and in all cases, is not one of the natural faculties of admiration, but of analysis of the case. One man admires in Peace his strength of will, his intellect, his energy. Another detests his lack of love. To admire energy and to hate cruelty is universal but are you now agreed that the formation of some such type as i have described is a worthy aim for education
2: hmm. you have made clear to
1: me ideas that i felt
2: for myself but could not clearly define or express
3: and i am most marvellously persuaded after this
0: the conversation became much less serious and i grieved to state that hoffman began to feel a strange inclination to dance and sing So they wore him out by taking him a very long walk round the city, and then Smith left them, but not without a solemn promise that he would meet them early on the morrow. End of chapter 2 End of part 11